Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Rob. I am so glad to be able to join you today um, and every day at Sex, Love, and Addiction. My guest today is Scott Brassert, and Scott is the Director of Content Development for Seeking Integrity, and he really manages and handles our, our handouts, our books, our exercises, our, you know, he is the writer for when we're involved with the media. He's sort of the, the writer for all things. And uh, Scott and I have worked together for, gosh, how long has it been? I know it's going to uh, seem like forever. I think we started in 2010. Okay, so forever. <laughs> We've worked together for a very long time. Scott is an extraordinary writer, and he has worked with me and with our team to really take a look at porn and from a whole variety of perspectives. You know, who uses it? Why do they use it? What is porn? What isn't porn? How does porn differ from sex addiction? Can porn be a form of cheating? You know, these are questions that we get a lot. And I really thought rather than doing kind of a solo podcast that I should ask the expert. And in this case, I'm asking our expert, Scott Brassard. So welcome, Scott. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. And uh, by the way, Scott teaches a lot of our courses. So, um, you know, we have online courses for Sex Addiction 101 and Porn Addiction 101 and Couples Work. And Scott offers uh, some of that education online that you can find at Sex and Relationship Healing or SeekingIntegrity.com. So, Scott, porn, huh? It's not like it was when I was a kid. Yeah, me either. Uh, I can remember uh, there was a neighbor who who grew marijuana in the field behind our house. And he also kept his porn magazines out there. That was, that was how I found porn. Uh, very different than uh, kids finding porn today, for sure. What I remember even in the early part of my work with sex addicts before the internet, I know that sounds like another era and it was, I remember people coming in for treatment who had stacks of magazines and books about porn, and they would stack them up in their garage or whatever, and then they would throw them all out because they felt terrible about what they were doing, and then they would go and buy more. And so, you know, that's how it was. Now they file them up under their computer. So we've seen a lot of changes in our lifetimes. I think that the problem hasn't changed. It's just the format, the speed, the access, and all of that. So let me ask you just to get started. I know this may seem silly, uh, and I think the Supreme Court might have answered this a long time ago. But what is porn? Because a lot of my clients will say, for example, 
oh, I don't look at porn sites, I look at Instagram, or I don't look at Instagram, I look at YouTube, you know, and we think of those as being kind of communication. So, Scott, how do, how do we define porn in the digital age? I mean, I think I know when I see it, but maybe I don't. What are you thinking? Yeah, this, this is a very, very legitimate question. Um, when I work with porn addicts in the porn online porn work groups that I teach, or when I work with the guys at the treatment center um, talking about porn, there's always a lot of leeway in their mind about what porn is and what porn isn't. Porn is something, it's imagery. Um, or written text uh, that we use to get aroused. That's the general definition of porn, sexually aroused. Sex addicts and porn addicts use it not only for purposes of arousal, but for purposes of escape. Um, It's something we use. We use the arousal that we get for emotional escape, the neurobiological intensity, the adrenaline and dopamine rush we get from pornography or other sexual behaviors or fantasies um, gets us out of our heads so we don't feel anxiety or depression or stress. So that's the basic definition of porn. The tricky bit these days is Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and OnlyFans and, 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 which are technically not porn. And, And picture me doing air quotes around not porn. Technically, it's not porn. But if I'm using it like it's porn, it's porn. It's porn for me. Um, I personally, I I can't watch Game of Thrones. Too many attractive naked people running around in Game of Thrones. I can't watch it. It's porn for me. It's, It's not porn. It's an HBO TV show, but I will use it for arousal and escape. Um, And that's the tricky bit for, particularly for porn addicts, is it's easy to rationalize watching Game of Thrones or cruising Instagram or wandering through TikTok or or OnlyFans, um, I, they can say, well, technically this isn't porn. So I'm still sober from my porn addiction. And, and my answer is not so much. First of all, I wanted to say to you folks, you know, just a comment. When Scott says we and I and us, you know, he's in recovery. And so he's not sitting around testing all of this. Um, he's not when we use it. And when I, he's talking about it in a generic way, you know, when we as addicts and also the people that he works with. So I just want to clarify uh, that Scott's not thumbing through porn as we talk, but um, he is talking from the perspective of what an addict is dealing with. And you're right, Scott, you know, I want to validate that a lot of the men that we work with at Seeking Integrity, they will come in and they'll say, I don't know why my spouse is so angry at me. I don't look at porn anymore. I just look at this or I just look at that. And you're right. For them, it's sexualized. Everyone might see, you know, Game of Thrones sounds like an old reference, but we're older people. Um, Game of Thrones might seem a little titillating to someone. It might seem like, oh, that's a sexy person or whatever that is. But for us, for a sex and porn addict, it becomes an obsession and something to, as you said, not just be a little bit aroused by, but used over and over again as a source of distraction and making yourself feel better. So I think what you're saying is that porn addicts, see porn, they look at porn, they're aroused by porn, so are healthy people. What they do with it is completely different things. Yeah. I mean, the the crux of any addiction is, whether it's a substance or a behavior, and you, you know this, Rob, is we're using it for emotional escape. We're using it as a, a coping mechanism. Eventually, it becomes a maladaptive coping mechanism. 
it does get us out of our head. It does give us some relief, but eventually it starts creating problems in our life. Alcohol is the same way. Drugs are the same way. Porn is the same way. It, it works until it stops working. So Scott, help me understand, like in the age of uh, everything being available all the time, you know, porn 24 seven, if that's what you want, what is porn? Because there's so many different ways. Let me try this. I have clients who come into Seeking Integrity and they say, I'm not looking at porn. I'm looking at Instagram or TikTok or, or, you know, or, or something on Facebook. I'm not really looking at porn. I don't know why my spouse is so upset. It's not really porn. And so, you know, how do we look at that in terms of porn addiction? Yeah, the way I define pornography is if we're, whether it's imagery or words, whether it's videos or still photos uh, or movies or magazines, if we're looking at it for purposes of sexual arousal, sexual titillation, it's pornography. It doesn't matter if they're naked or engaged in a sex act or wearing a bikini or they're on TikTok or whatever. If we're looking at it and using it for purposes of arousal, it's pornography. So the Victoria's Secret catalog, if they still make that, is pornography for a lot of addicts. Um, Game of Thrones is pornography for a lot of addicts. TikTok, Instagram, pornography for a lot of addicts, um, particularly porn addicts. When I teach my the online work groups for porn addiction, uh, the guys are all on Instagram and. My, my question to them is, why? <laughs> you don't need to be on Instagram. It's porn for you. And, you know, they, they hem and haw for five or 10 minutes. And then they're like, yeah, I guess I really do only look at, you know, <laughs> pictures for, for sexual gratification. Well, and there's a caveat to that, which is, uh, for those of you not, you know, not out there in that world, it's not like you turn on TikTok and you're seeing porn. It's not like you turn on Instagram and see porn or Snapchat, or I could be looking at um, fashion. I could be looking at music. I could be looking at art. I mean, there, there are many, many purposes for using those platforms, but that's not how porn addicts are using them. Correct. Um, and, and even if they're using them in healthy ways, they're also using them in unhealthy ways. And when you're an addict, uh, particularly in early recovery, just get off of those platforms. It's like an alcoholic in early recovery. Stay out of the bars. Just it's a bad idea to go to the bar. For a porn addict, stay off of TikTok. Stay off of Insta. Stay, you know, any, anything that you have used for sexual titillation, sexual arousal, one way or another, stay away from it. And, you know, I think talking about that, we need to go back a step because I think there's something we missed, you and me here in this conversation, which is that people have moral positions about porn. They have feminist positions about porn. They have spiritual values about porn related to, is it good? Is it bad? Should you use, look at it? Should you not? And maybe you could help everyone understand, like, what's the difference between porn is wrong, I feel it harms people, it's demeaning, and I don't want people watching it, versus you have a problem. Like, how do you, you know, what, how do you differentiate those things so folks don't think we're sort of saying, oh, all porn is bad, you know, because it's really not our place to say that. So how do you differentiate that or talk about that? Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot. I mean, we take no moral or, or, social stand on porn, good or bad. You don't care about that, particularly. I don't care about that. What we care about is when people are struggling with pornography, um, that means they're 
preoccupied to the point of obsession with pornography. I spend a lot of time thinking about porn. Um, the second criteria that, that we look for is loss of control over use, meaning I've tried to quit, I failed. I've tried to quit, I failed. Um, this is, you know, I amass a, a huge collection of porn. I delete it. I, I cancel my credit cards that I used to pay for it if I was paying for it. And then a week later, I'm back collecting porn again, trying to get all the same images. And when I say I or, or we, I'm talking about the people I work with. I'm 20 years sober from this addiction. So so I'm not doing this today, but <laughs> but I am a porn addict in recovery. Um, and then the third criteria is negative consequences. I'm having directly related problems in my life linked to my porn use. This could be relationship issues. This could be legal issues. It could be loss of interest in other real world activities. Basically, the world gets really small for a porn addict. Or like failing at school because you're so focused on porn or you're looking at porn at work and you get in trouble. I mean, it shows up in lots of arenas from what you say. Yeah. I mean, like any addiction, the consequences are wide and varied and deep, but basically your life starts falling apart because of your porn use. So I have a great question for you. I'm some, let's say, let's, I'm making this up. I'm someone who looks at porn fairly regularly and I kind of enjoy porn and I have a healthy sexual life with my partner and, you know, the porn doesn't seem to be, you know, causing some great problem in my life or I don't see it as doing that. What is the difference between me and an addict other than how I think about it? Is it, in other words, if I look at porn for this long and I am, am I an addict and that long I'm not, or if I look at these images, I have porn problem, but like how, what does that have to do with, how would you know? This is the question. You know, how much booze do I have to drink to be an alcoholic? Well, it's not really how much booze you drink or even which type of booze you drink. It's what the booze does to your life. The same is true with porn. It's not how much porn you look at. It's not the type of porn you look at. It's what it's doing to your life. Is it becoming an obsession? Has it become an, an obsession? Have you tried and failed to quit? Have you done that repeatedly? And is the use causing problems? Everybody on the planet pretty much has had at least a sip of alcohol at some point, but only about 10% of people become alcoholic. The other 90% of people don't have a problem with it. Pornography uh, and other forms of sex addiction are kind of the same way. Um, some of us just are susceptible for one reason or another, and we get hooked on it and it starts screwing up our lives. There's no set amount or type of pornography that, that I need to look at to qualify as being a porn addict. Uh, it's what it's like. Well, you know, I, I want to just briefly go back to that thing about values and morals because and, and spirituality, because it feeds into what you're saying, which is if I have a value that porn is bad or a spiritual belief that tells me porn is harmful to my soul, the problem is that I can't live by those values. It's not that I should have them or I shouldn't have them. It's that I think addiction is like, I say I want to follow a particular path, like you said, like, you know, being better at work or being more engaged with my kids or whatever, but I can't do that. I can't stay within my commitments because of the porn, because of the pull it has on me. So in that way, it does relate to values and morals and spirituality in terms of how I destroy those things with porn. Yeah, I mean, let's say you've got somebody in a conservative religion where porn is viewed as a sin. Uh, if you look at porn, you're going to the bad place. 
if they came into you or they came into one of my work groups and and we would say, okay, well, you know, what are you looking at? Describe your porn use. And they'd say, well, you know, once a month I go online for 15 minutes and I look at porn and I masturbate and I feel terrible about it. And I know I'm going to hell. And my, and my minister says, wow, you must be a porn addict. Otherwise, why would you commit this mortal sin? And you or I are going to say, I don't think you're a porn addict. You may very well want to quit porn for reasons that are very legitimate for you. But you don't qualify as a porn addict. You know, you're not obsessed with it. You haven't tried to quit and failed dozens of times. And you're not having, you know, 87 different types of life consequences as a result of your porn use. Do you want to quit porn? Sure. We'll help you quit porn. But let's not call you an addict because you don't qualify to be an addict. Does that make sense? Well, what you're saying is it doesn't matter on some level whether I think porn is good or bad or right or wrong. It's more about my relationship to the porn and how I carry that relationship out, whether I don't want to have one or I can have a casual one and a regular one. It's really about how that relationship with porn is affecting my life and the things I believe in. I think that's what you're saying. Sure, but, but treatment is going to look different for somebody who's not an addict and wants to quit porn versus treatment for somebody who is an addict and wants to quit porn. It's, it's a very different treatment process. You're, you're a sexologist as well. Somebody who's not an addict and wants to quit porn should probably go to a sexologist. Somebody who's an addict and wants to quit porn should go to a CSAT, which is a certified sex addiction therapist. You're, you are both. So you can handle both clients, but a lot of people would, would only handle one and refer the other one out. So let me give you a scenario, Scott, and, and related to what we're talking about, and then we'll move on to other things. I'm married, and my spouse has very strong beliefs about that porn is bad, porn is wrong, they don't want it in their home, and I kind of sneak looking at it once in a while, and, and my spouse doesn't like it, and it causes some problems, um, and I don't, I say I want to stop, or I say I'm going to stop, but I kind of, you know, kind of don't. How does that differ from an addiction? Well, this is the difference between infidelity and sex addiction or infidelity and addiction or, you know, the guy who smokes one cigarette a month but doesn't admit it and, and somebody who smokes three packs a day <laughs> and doesn't admit it. Um, you know, at some point, you lose control over the behavior. Um, there are casual users. There are at-risk users who can sometimes look like addicts. And then there are addicts. You know, casual users are people who go on and look at porn once in a while. It's no big deal. Yeah, maybe their wife or spouse or husband is, is ticked off about it, but it's not out of control. They can walk away from it. You know, an at-risk user is somebody who maybe in times of stress uses it every day for a month straight, but then when the stress alleviates, they kind of walk away from it. They'd rather have a real-world relationship with a live human, actual human partner Addicts are people who are really, really hooked on it. Life is going good. They're using porn. Life is going bad. They're using porn. The sun comes up. They use porn. The sun goes down. They use porn. That's an addict. I think I've heard this song before. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love, and addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com. That's seekingintegrity.com. 
or call us at 747-234-4325. But I do, you know, I think a good question for the people listening, and, and this is, this is, I mean, this all ties together. We could talk about this for hours. We have clients who come in and say, I'm not a porn, I'm not a sex addict. I just look at porn or I don't have a sex problem. It's just the porn. Or I don't know if I have a porn addiction because I don't qualify for all those things that sex addicts do. Can you explain a little bit? I know that the real life consequences are going to be similar, but how are those viewed differently? What is the difference between someone who has a sex addiction problem versus someone? And let me give another example. Like I'll have people come in and say, well, I just look at porn. I've never cheated. So, you know, I'm not really have a a sexual addiction problem. How do you kind of look at that? I love this statement. I I only look at porn. I've never cheated. Run that past your wife or your husband uh, and see what they have to say about it. Um, They are almost certainly going to say, yes, porn is cheating. Um, So that's part of an addict's denial. Now, to your larger question between the difference between sex addiction and porn addiction, I always classify porn addiction as a form of sexual addiction. It's a form that involves uh, usually a computer or a phone and uh, myself uh, and and nobody else. So it's kind of like like the difference between being addicted to drinking uh, wine versus being addicted to smoking pot. In both cases, you're, you have a, a disorder that is distracting from your life and you're using it to change your mood and all that stuff and something you're putting in your body, but they're different things. They have the same effect. Yeah. What I can say is almost every person who identifies as a sex addict, they tend to have a broad array of sexual behaviors, you know, strip clubs, cheating, erotic massage, all that stuff, probably in that, you know, range of their addictive behaviors is pornography. So they're happy to identify as a sex addict and or a porn addict. So the people who often want to identify as porn addicts, they'll walk into a sex addict 12-step meeting and think, I don't belong here. I haven't had 3,000 partners. I haven't had 300 partners. I haven't had three partners. I haven't had any partners. You know, my only partner is me and pornography. Um, That's their entire sexual life or the vast majority of their sexual life. Um, This is why at Seeking Integrity, we we already had some online treatment for sex addiction. We we created some some work groups specifically for porn addicts because they were struggling to identify as sex addicts. The treatment center in L.A., we can spend time with them. We can explain to them. Yeah, sex and porn addiction, kind of, you know, variations on a theme here. Well, excuse me. I mean, in treatment, we can actually deal directly with addiction from a therapy perspective. And the online work and forms of treatment are more of an educational interactive. They're different things, but they kind of lead to the same issues. And, And when I do educational stuff with the guys in the treatment center, which is similar to what I do in the work groups, a lot of them will say what, what you mentioned earlier, I'm a sex addict, but you know, porn isn't really a problem. And then we start digging a little bit and I say, well, how much porn do you look at? You know, how does your wife feel about it? You know, have you tried to quit? Have you tried to cut back? And, and we start digging into the criteria. And by the end of the conversation, they often say, you know what? Porn is, I think porn is a problem for me. I'm going to have to put it in my red circle or the inner circle, bottom line behavior. Um, their thinking comes around, but 
addicts, we, we like an out. We want to keep something open so we can still have our emotional escape. Um, and, and the big part of recovery is closing all those doors. Um, and that's why we have circle plans, which I'm sure you've talked about on this podcast before, where we delineate very, very clearly what our problem behaviors are and what our slippery behaviors are and then what our healthy behaviors are because we need something to do instead. But, but we try and be really, really, really tight when we define this is a problem behavior. Porn addicts, they know porn's a problem behavior. You know, I, I, I wanted to touch on that piece because I think when I think about a porn addict, I, or when I used to before I got into this part of the work, I used to think, oh, that's someone who's 20 or that's someone who's 25. You know, they've just kind of ended up in porn when they were 15 and they've been watching it for 10 years and they've never had a relationship. And porn is, by the way, for everyone, very isolating. But what I've been discovering in working with sex and porn addicts is I have men who walk in and they're in their 60s and they've been looking at porn for 40 years and their spouse just find out, found out three years ago. Or they have tried to stop, you know, since they were in their 20s and now they're in their 50s and they have a family and kids. I, I think that, you know, we have to broaden the idea of what a porn addict looks like because they look like all of us. <laughs> they don't just look like a 23 year old is technically savvy. Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. In the porn work groups I've teached, the, the last one I taught, I had a guy who was 22 and I had a guy who was 82. The guy who was 22 had started looking at porn when he was five. The guy who was 82 had, starting look, had started looking at porn when he was 75 after his wife died. He was bored. He started looking at porn and, and it spun out of control on him. This is not an age thing. It's not a socioeconomic thing. It is people are struggling with stress and anxiety or loneliness and boredom, and they find a way to cope. And that way, pornography, and then it spins on. Well, and let's be more direct in a way that I think, you know, most people would not feel comfortable, but I do after this many years. Addiction is a mental health problem. You know, like depression, like anxiety, it escalates or shows back up under stress. People don't talk about it. They don't want to get help. It's embarrassing. I mean, a lot of levels. And it is a brain problem. It is an addiction. You know, it is it is something that we we think wrong. <laughs> Our lines are just not, I get up, you know, people get upset and they go for a walk. Other people go upset and they work out or they play with their kids. We get upset and we lock ourselves in a room and escape by looking at porn for three hours. So it really is a, a sort of burned in problem with our brains that we have to learn our way out of. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Scott, is, you know, porn addicts, they tend to talk about looking at images or maybe writing stories. But I've heard that you can start out with porn and then there are these little messages that say, you know, there's someone in Bolivia in a closet who's naked. And if you just give me $5 a minute, they'll get naked for you and all that. In other words, porn has, a, and especially free porn, has a connection where you can build a sexual relationship with a live person. Um, can you say something about that? Yeah. I, if you can think about it, it's out there. Um, first of all, there, there are what we call tube sites where you get a little postage stamp sized image and you click on it and it opens up the video and you see it's pre-recorded. You get what you get. Then there are webcams and web chat, uh, all kinds of places where you can go and just, you know, randomly 
swipe on people who are often in various stages of undress and masturbating. And you can masturbate with the total stranger who lives halfway around the world. And then there are what you're talking about, which are the pay sites where people will perform for you. That They're live porn performances. You can direct the porn. You pay by the minute, uh, usually. A lot of guys that I've dealt with have spent thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. They've gone through their kid's college fund, basically creating porn with the porn performer. And then um, you, I think, at one point, as part of our, our research, put on the virtual reality goggles and chatted with a porn performer, not naked, not a porn thing, but chatting. And you talked about how real it felt to the point where I was like, I don't need to try that. <laughs> right in the metaverse, we were out there. Yes. And they were very nice people. You know, it seemed like they were selling, um, you know, I don't know, uh, clothing. But um, they, they, they were not. And yes, it was a 3D live interactive experience. And that's where we're headed. I, I fully get that. And one of the tricky bits about this, if you're an addict, is it feels so real. You've heard sex addicts come in and say, oh, that stripper, but we're in love. We're going to get married. Mm. No, the prostitute does not love you. The prostitute wants your money. She says she loves you because you give her a bigger tip. Um, this porn stuff is the same way, but when you're interacting with somebody and doing it consistently and they're saying these nice, sweet things to you and doing exactly what you ask them to do, it feels real. Well, you know, every addict on some level, sex addicts, they want to feel we have vulnerabilities around feeling unwanted, unloved, uh, not good enough, you know, all of those kinds of things that underlie addiction. And so, you know, when someone goes to a sex worker live or, in, or, or online, so many of the people I work with, especially the men, say, I wanted to be the one that they thought was special. I wanted to be the one that they would give it away for free. I wanted to be the one who was important to them. And so they're pulling for some kind of adoration or appreciation or connection that, like you said, it isn't real, but sex workers know how to be that person for you because they get paid more. Yeah. And, you know, one of the one of the things that's we tack on top of that, we're as addicts, we are afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid if you know the real us, you'll run screaming from the room. So one of the appeals of pornography, uh, one of the many appeals of pornography is it never says no. Pornography had never turns anyone down. It's always there, down. <laughs> ready and waiting. There's no risk. Mm -hmm. There's no emotional risk and there's very little emotional risk with a stripper or a prostitute or, or an erotic massage. So if you're saying basically, if I'm having a bad day and I'm really feeling upset and angry and vulnerable and all kinds of feelings that are triggers for someone who has emotional health issues, I don't know if when I call a friend, they're going to be available. I don't know if when I talk to my spouse, they're going to say, yeah, I know you had a hard day, but I did too. I can't guarantee in a human interaction that someone is absolutely going to be there for me and meet my needs. And by the way, that is normal and healthy, but addicts struggle with that. But if I get engaged with porn or play with paper dolls online, they're never going to let me down. They're never, they're always going to be available. They're never going to disappoint me. And I always have control because I'm paying them or I'm paying for it, or I can shut the computer off and I'm done. I think that you in the work, when you're doing online courses and or teaching at Seeking Integrity, 
we run into people, or maybe you could tell me, we run into people who they look like they have it all together and they look like they are strong and their life is going in the right direction and they're very successful in many areas of their lives. And yet when it comes to this, they're like six years old. Yeah. And the typical addict, their self-esteem, their self-image is very, very negative and usually has nothing to do with reality, but it's very, very negative. Addicts feel less than, unworthy, unlovable, unwanted. So anybody who, or anything that can take them away from those feelings one way or another is going to be potentially addictive. I, you know, I can drink and make those feelings temporarily go away. I can look at porn and make those feelings temporarily go away. And the fact that there's no risk, I know what I'm going to get from alcohol or marijuana or porn or a stripper. It makes it safe for me. I don't have to take any risk. And I, those feelings go away for a while. That's why it, the, one of the reasons that addiction is so, so appealing um, is it does work. Uh, it is a coping mechanism. Well, it's like a sieve. It, it, you pour something in it, and it works for about a second, and then it drains right back out. Yeah, it's, it's a leaky bucket. You can, you can just keep pouring and pouring and pouring into the leaky bucket. And, you know, it's, it stays a little bit of water at the bottom, but the rest of it leaks out. So you just got to keep pouring. And that's, that's the nature of addiction. You know, I wanted to say to folks, and I didn't mention this earlier, I apologize, but when you're looking at what we call cam girls or cam boys, basically online prostitution, that is the face of um, sex trafficking. That is the face of someone who's being paid a dollar a minute while we're paying $10 a minute to watch someone strip in some closet in another country. And it's very sad where they often have to go in order to survive. But in those circumstances, that's very frequently the person we're looking at. I wanted to comment on something I've seen with porn addicts that's different than sex addicts. And, and it kind of comes together. There's a sense of isolation, you know, I, and it's, it's not a sense, it's a reality. When I spend four hours a night looking at porn and somebody else is going out with friends, you know, or, or hanging out with a family member, I am isolated. I am not engaging with people. I want to talk a little bit about that, but related to that is it's embarrassing to be a porn addict. You know, it's embarrassing because the reality is you're not out having sex. You're not out meeting relationships. You're not even out paying sex workers. You're sitting in your room by yourself, masturbating um, with nobody around, no connection. And you really look like the sad, lonely person more. And and they feel that way, right? They feel like, you know, I'm not even leaving the house. What's wrong with me? And this is why it's so important uh, that we have separate groups for porn addicts or separate work groups for porn addicts because they really come in with a different mindset. If I go up to somebody and say, hey, I'm a sex addict, they're going to be like, woo, sounds fun. Good for you. If I go up to somebody and say, I'm a porn addict, they're going to go, gross, loser. <laughs> I mean, can't you get a real you know, partner? And there is so much shame. It, it, all addictions are driven by shame. But with porn addiction, the addiction itself just heaps shame onto the addict in addition to the shame they already have because of the way society has a, or misunderstands porn addiction and sex addiction also. You know, it's not about porn. It's about escape. And it just so happens that porn works better for me than heroin does. You know, so I'm a porn addict instead of a heroin addict. But the tremendous shame and get it, it's I always love the first couple of weeks of our online porn work groups because the guys have never talked about this with anyone. 
I'll have eight or 10 guys and they're crying because, and, and, and they'll say, this is the first time I've ever heard anybody talk about the same problem that I have. I've never told anyone this. It comes out and it's, it's a tremendous relief for them. And it opens the door to recovery when they can sort of recognize I'm not the only one, then they can let go of some of that shame and start letting the healing process begin. You're so amazing. And by the way, I mean, you know so much about this and you're such a good educator and writer. Um, Folks, I will say, if you want to do some of this work with Scott, he is online through Seeking Integrity, doing courses on a regular basis in both of these issues. And Scott, I want to thank you for being with us. I'm going to say this. We need to do a part two. Part two, I think we need to talk about recovery. Like, how do you deal with this and what is treatment and how can you learn this versus therapizing your way through it? Or, and the question often comes up, why, you know, why do I have this problem? What's wrong with me as opposed to what can I do about it? So if you'd be willing, um, let's do some more talking pretty quickly and turn this into a two part, uh, episode, because I think there are a lot of folks who have so many questions and I'm going to try to get them uh, get them answered as quickly as we can and get through as many of them as we can. Would that be okay with you? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Okay. Well, thanks folks for joining us in porn addiction part one, and we'll be getting into porn addiction part two, probably in just about three seconds. Thanks for joining us. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.